you will, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We've been working our way through the um, book of Acts. We'll finish the first chapter today. This is the fourth in the uh, series. Acts chapter 1. I want to begin today a little differently than I began before. We're going to begin by reading the text. I'm a little bit hot here, Eric, if you'll turn me down. Thank you. If you will, let's stand together to read the, the Word of God, get it in front of us. Acts chapter 1. We'll pick up in verse 12, and we will uh, read to the end of the chapter. Acts 1, verse 12. I want to remind you before I start reading the context, because I know that you remember everything that we preached on last week. The context is this. These 500 people were up on the Mount of Ascension. And Jesus gave them some words, Acts 1, 8, and what have you. And then Jesus ascended, and then the angels told them, uh, the message that they gave them, and now we pick up in verse 12. It reads, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olive, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the upper room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were gathered was about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first. His body burst open and his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language, the field that is called Hakeldama, that is, field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Therefore, men Excuse me, therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went out and went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two Joseph called the Sabbath who is also known as Justice and Matthias. Then he prayed. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in, their, in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go 
where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the twelve. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that today that you will take this portion of your word. And I pray that you will enlighten our minds, enlighten our hearts, enlighten our spirits. That we can be your people. Our prayer is all the time that we thank you for food to use it to nourish our bodies, that we can be of further use in your service. And, Father, I pray pray that today that this word, this part of your word will become bread for us, that will nourish our souls and nourish our bodies, that we can be of further use for you. If there's one here who doesn't know you, I pray something spoken today will speak into their heart, that they will come to know you in a personal way and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Perspective is a big word. It's a big thing. It's a bigger concept. Today, as you see on the screen, I want to talk to us about this thing of a new perspective. A new perspective. The dictionary, I thought this was important for us to have in front of us. The dictionary defines perspective in this way. The state of one's ideas. The facts known to one, etc. And having a meaningful inner relationship. A mental view or prospect. The capacity to view things in true relation or relative importance. Now if I give you a layman's definition... If I just give you a a layman's definition of perspective, it is the lens through which we view the world. I mean, what happens to me, what happens, just an event that happens, I may see one way and old Jason here may see another way because we have a different perspective. We have a different lens. We have a different visual filter, as you will, to see. Now, the the best way I know to illustrate what perspective is, because I want all of us on the same page... It comes from a great illustration that John Huggy used 25 years ago to illustrate perspective. There was a, an Amish farmer. He was on his way to town in his buggy, his horse-drawn buggy with his dog sitting at it. Are you all okay today? Are you all okay today? Okay. Anyway, this Amish farmer's coming to town. He's got his buggy. See his See him and his buggy and his dog and his horse. Well, they got into town and they got hit by a police car. He, he spent many weeks in the hospital. The horse is dead. The dog's dead. So as you can imagine, about three or four months later, he is suing the city for damages. And so now here's the picture. The Amish farmer is on the stand. And the, the city's attorney is questioning him. And he said, on such and so a date, you were struck by a car, yes, sir, a police car, yes, sir, and, and uh, um, your buggy was destroyed, yes, sir, your animals wound up dead, yes, sir, you were in the hospital, yes, sir, and said, uh, is this true or is this false? Did you tell the officer, police officer on scene, that you had never felt better in your life. He goes, well, yeah, I did do that. And he goes, well, can you explain that? He says, that's a matter of perspective. 
And uh, the attorney made a big mistake. And he goes, would you explain that to us? And he said, sure. He said, we got into town. That police officer destroyed my buggy. I'm laying over there in the ditch, and my horse is up here, and I hear him whining, and I could tell how he was laying that his back was broken. And the police officer got out of his car. He walked over to my horse, and he looked at my horse, and he took his gun, and he shot him. Then over next, he came to my dog. My dog's whining, and you can tell that he's mortally wounded. He takes his gun, and he shot him. He walked over to me, and he said, how are you feeling? He said, I never felt better in my life. It's all a matter of your perspective. Perspective is a powerful word. It's a powerful emotion. In fact, across America today, there are a number of conferences called Christian Worldview Conferences where, where they're trying to help people interpret the world's events, the happenings of the world, through a biblical and a Christian worldview. And that'd be a good place for us to ask, have you ever thought about it? Do you, is your perspective that you see things that are happening, i.e. the war on the other side of the globe, the atrocities that are going on, not just there but other places, do you see those through the lens of your Bible, of your Christian worldview? Today, as we have read our text, as we have read our text, we discover that that. These folks are entering a new world. That's why we call this a new world coming. And to live in this new world, they have to have a new perspective. I toyed with this outline. I toyed with an outline that I really liked. Is that talking about this new perspective, Jesus was gone, they were home, uh, Judas was wrong, and so they had to carry on. That's what I started to do, but I figured somebody would say, that's a little thin, Brother Jerry. So I began to dig deeper in the text, and you know what I discovered about this text? It's all about faith. It's all about in faith, with faith, of faith, by faith, through faith. It's all about faith walking and faith talking. What we've read, this verses 12 through the end of the chapter, is really the beginning of their walk by faith. And you would say, well, why is that, Brother Jerry? But listen, it's the first time that they've had to walk the Christian life without the bodily presence of Jesus. Now, some of you would say, well, Brother Jerry, he was in the grave. Yes, he was in the grave for three days. And for three days, they went dormant. For three days, they did nothing. For three days, they thought it was over. But now Jesus had come back from the dead. He had walked on the earth. He had extended the call to them to be a part of this new world. He extended the, the, even the command to go and do and be and permeate the world with the good news to bring this world from life, from death to life, from darkness to light, from hopelessness To hope. And here's where they were. They had their hands full. They knew they couldn't do it on their own. They knew that they needed divine, supernatural, God-given help. For once, even Peter didn't talk back. Because Peter's perspective was shaped by the gravity of the task. He knew if they were to complete what, what Jesus had told them to do in Acts 1.8, he, 
He knew that they were going to complete that test, that they would have to have faith like they had never had, like they had never seen, heard, or experienced. And brothers and sisters, I don't apologize for what I'm about to tell you. The 21st century church, that'd be you and me. We need faith like we've never seen, like we've never felt, like we've never experienced. Because there's a need for revival in our country and spiritual awakening across our land. If you see this world through a Christian perspective, you have to remember the words, Debbie, that we sang when I was here last time. Linda, we sang them last time I was here. Gordon Jensen, who later became a friend, he penned them. Wars and strifes on every hand, and violence fills the land. Has there ever been a time in the history of mankind that those words were truer? You see, the truth is, is that if if things are going to change, if if the spiritual, if God's spiritual world is going to take over, it is going to be because we gain a new perspective. We do like them and decide that we're not too old to learn. If there's going to be a spiritual awakening in the world, it's going to have to start here in the homeland. It may need to start here. Perhaps it started already. But I want to tell you what what, what a a revival in a church is like. Man, you'll love this. You had that old truck. It didn't like to run. But when it got to a cold morning, you'd have to whine that thing a little bit. And then you'd have to get some gas in in that carburetor and finally it'd fire off. But you had to kind of warm it up before it fired off. And I'm going to tell you that that's what I see happening here, is that is that as Jesus departed, after they heard his words, after they saw the ascension, I see now four things from this text, and you can write them down there in your bulletin, four things that they did that will speak to us today. The first thing they did is they returned. They returned from the Mount of Olives to this upper room in faith. They returned in faith. You see, they had seen Jesus. Watch this. I can't imagine. 500 people saw Jesus taken away in a supernatural way. That's the only way you can describe it. They, they saw him taken away. And, and now he was gone, but he wasn't dead. He wasn't in the tomb. He wasn't lifeless. And not only was he gone and they knew he was alive, They were told, and now things were beginning to process, that he was coming back. Don't you think about this? When Jesus was on earth, he made them promises. And every time he made them a promise, he fulfilled those promises. He said he would rise from the dead. They didn't pay him any attention, but he did. Now, they were left with the instructions of, of what to do, of what to be, of where to go. And now they were given two promises. And you know what those promises were? They, they, they were told, let me just tell you the instructions first. They were told to go back to Jerusalem, and they were told to wait. And what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the promise of the Father. Did they know what that was? They did not. But now they gathered. If you get back to your scripture, they, they gathered 
in the upper room. When they got, when they arrived, verse 13 says, they went to the room upstairs. Now, everybody, would everybody agree that the room upstairs would be an upper room? Give me this. You got me? Okay. The, an upper room. You see, Jesus had explained that if he went away, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, was going to come. But you get the idea as you read this that they didn't really know what to expect. They just knew that it was going to be something from God. What they did believe was if they were going to receive this promise from the Father, they had to be obedient. That had not changed today, folks. If we're going to receive the best from the Father, it's going to require our total and complete obedience. I'll just pause there just a second to say this. Oh, Brother Jerry, what are you talking about obedience? Well, let me just ask you this. If your kids are 80% obedient, do you consider them obedient? Or do you talk to them about that 25% they left undone? You see, 25%... 75% obedience is disobedience. 90% obedience is disobedience. Where would you in your life rate on the scale? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Hmm. Hmm. If you... Gossip about somebody, it's the same as murder. Hmm. I mean, I, the, the list goes on and on. You see, the, the truth is, is that if we're going to receive God's best, like they were looking for, they came back looking for God's best, and if you're going to receive God's best, you're going to have to be obedient. You have to be obedient. These These people... Today, who are not experiencing God's best, are people, please listen, who are making their own rules as they go, up, go along. It's almost as if they decided that they are God and he's not. It's almost decided that they can do what they want and that and God in heaven has to kind of acquiesce to their life. Here's what I want you to, you can check me out on this. No one stood face to face with Jesus and walked away believing they were worthy. No one struts out of the presence of God. To the one who believes they know better than God, I mean like, after all, does God know who I am? Somebody want me to kneel before Jesus? Come on, you're kidding Here's my response to that person. One day, I'm going to say it again. One day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But if you wait until that one day, please listen, it will be too late for eternity. Now is the time. Today is the time. The life that pleases God is a life like these. It's a life like these folks lived. 
It's lived by faith. They returned in faith to Jerusalem. Their faith led them back to where Jesus said go. They returned in faith. The second thing I suggest to you is that they remembered by faith. They remembered by faith. When they got in the upper room, would you just kind of take off that um, hard thinking about its Bible so we don't really humanize it? I want you to just think about them getting in the upper room. These are the people who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. These are the people, 120 of them left, who were on the Mount of Transfiguration with him. They got in the room, and obviously they began to talk. And they remembered. Think about all the things they remembered. They remembered the good times with Jesus. It's likely that they, when they got together that they talked about the miracles that meant the most to them, the healings, the feedings, casting out of demons. I mean, I can only imagine that from time to time they got so overwhelmed with what they had witnessed that they literally fell into an extended time of prayer. They were thankful for their time with Jesus. They were missing Jesus. They were thankful for the promises of Jesus. And now they were imploring the Father to fulfill the promise of Jesus and send that promise because that's what they needed. Jesus made it clear the Spirit was going to be better than Him. They remembered all these things and they remembered Jesus. And the more they remembered Jesus closer they came and the more unified they felt. After Jesus' crucifixion a month earlier, they had felt frightened and scared and they ran and they hid. They went their separate ways. And you get the feeling in those three days that they simply tried to forget. This time was different. This time... They didn't hide. They huddled. This time they didn't separate. They stayed together. This time they weren't afraid. Rather, they were unafraid, ultimately going into the streets for one reason, and that's Jesus. Their life was, was permeated by Jesus. But there was another thing that was naturally on their mind. As I think about it as they gathered in that upper room after Jesus had gone back, there was an elephant in the room. Which probably the 120 people whispered about in the corners, but they certainly didn't talk about it in public. In fact, as I read this, the very reason Peter may have felt the need to stand and call them into a business meeting, you can tell he was a Baptist, called them into a business meeting might have been this subject. And when he began to speak, he addressed the subject and spoke that subject in the name that people had only been whispering. Judas. Judas. Even the hard-nosed, crusty old fisherman He knew that if they were to endure and be unified, they had to deal scripturally with the issue of Judas. Too often we've made 
we've made our judgments about Judas, and most of them probably are correct. But I do think this, and I want you to just walk this journey with me right now. You may have never heard it like this. Honestly, I haven't. But I think we missed the human side of, this, of Judas. I, I, I'm afraid we missed the lessons of this issue. And as we look into the heart of these people, please listen, we find a hurt that had to be dealt with and healed. They returned in faith. And they remembered by faith. But now they had to take another step. And it was not going to be an easy step. It was going to be a painful step. This may be a lesson for the modern day church. Because we refuse to do what Peter did with them. They returned in faith. They remembered by faith. And they recognized number three through faith. Many of church families have been destroyed by the experience of a Judas. A Judas. It could be a long-term member. It could be a short-term member. But that member who, for, for personal reasons or whatever else, almost cut the heart out of a church family for no other reason than personal arrogance and animus. Many times this member has many connections throughout the church family. Many times he's given much money and much time and energy to the body. And yet something goes wrong. I mean, didn't get enough attention. Or it could be like Judas. I don't like how they're spending money down there. So that, that individual sets out to sabotage or wreak havoc in the church. I want to pick back up there, but I want to put a pause here. Some of you are saying, what's going on in our church? And I will tell you nothing I know of. Nothing I know of. But one of the reasons that you... That you Take scripture like we're taking it. And so you can deal with issues when they're not issues. That's, did you know that's the best time to deal with an issue when it's not an issue? Now let's get back to it. That, that Judas of the modern day church will wreak havoc. Here's what I have learned at my age and my stage. Not only does it hurt the church and the work of the gospel, but it hurts people also. Too often we hear the cold story about Judas. And for Peter it may have been easier not to mention it. But Peter had pointed to Scripture. That's where he was headed. Pointed to Scripture that it had to be dealt with. And he points his attention to something that I think we miss. And I tried to highlight it when I read it. And it just jumped out at me. This week as I was studying. Look in verse 17. 
For he was one of our number. He was one of us. And shared in the ministry. Judas was not a a peripheral person. He was the treasurer for crying out loud. Likely, there are people under the sound of my voice who right now you can remember in your spirit, please don't ever call the name publicly, but you remember the name of one or some who were with you in the work of the gospel. And yet something happened and they caused problems and they walked away. Even as I mentioned this, there are names that come to my mind in past churches. You know what? It hurts. It hurts the work of the gospel. It hurts the reputation of the church. But you know what? It hurts deeply. And even as I'm talking about this, It may bring a tear to your eye to think about that. And that's okay because you know what? God heals and loves brokenhearted people. Now, I hope that whoever you're thinking of didn't wind up like Judas. Verses 18 to 20 are pretty graphic. And I would prefer not to even speak about them, but most people go, why did you skip over that? We want to know what that's all about. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because we are not sure of everything in that scripture. But I'm going to tell you what we, I'm going to tell you some things we know and then things that, the conclusions we draw. First of all, we know that Judas was paid 30 pieces of silver. We know that he came back and he he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the religious leader, we know that the religious leaders could not use that 30 pieces of silver in the work of the ministry, but they had to do something else. So we know that they took that 30 pieces of silver and they brought a tract of land in Judas's name, and we know that Judas hung himself. The supposition is that that piece of land that they had had a hillside on it with some trees on it, and that's where he threw the rope over when he hung himself. And when he hung himself and his weight went out, this is the supposition, his weight went out and he was, and his neck broke, is that the tree, either the limb failed or the tree collapsed and he fell down that hill and now you can put your mind on the rest to see what happens. The point is, of this story, is that Peter brought this to their attention because he knew they had to deal with it. They had to deal with it in faith. They had to deal with it in Scripture. And they had to come to, and please listen, they had to come to the point that as much as they cared for Judas and what Judas did while he was with them, here's the deal. He was not one of them. John writes, please listen. Here's our biblical view. John writes, if they had belonged to us, they would have not gone out from us. It doesn't get much simpler. That's Ten Mile Creek talk. 
their perspective, this group's perspective, was to focus on the scripture and the thing that the Father had gave them. Where they heard about Judas, where they heard about, are we heard about our Judases? You bet. But it doesn't destroy faith. It doesn't destroy the truth of the gospel. In fact, it affirms it. And you see these up here. They returned to Jerusalem in faith. They remembered the past things in faith. They recognized in faith. They, they recognized how they had to deal with the Judas issue. And finally, they restarted. They restarted with faith. I'll just tell you, the, the last verses here of 22, 23 and forward, there's probably a whole other sermon there, but we're not going to do that. But I want us to get the big picture. They came in, by, through, and with faith. They returned, they remembered, they recognized, and all of this faith thrusted them forward with faith. They saw what God had done in the past. They saw what Jesus had done in the present. And they, they were expecting of what God would do in the future. They come to understand that God was working in every situation. And that he wanted them to be a part of it, of what he was doing. Could he work without their help? You bet. Did he want to? Not at all. And the truth is, they wanted to be a part of his work. And so, for cultural reasons, for reasons we're not going to get into, they felt like they needed 12 leaders. It has to do with the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they, they put together this plan and they prayed it through. And they came to Matthias. And the truth is, they were now ready to go to the streets. You see, you see, God was preparing them for a greater work. I suggest to you that all the blessings that we have encountered, I don't know about you, but my heart was just overflowing last week with the baptisms. We'll do it again today. Do it again in two weeks. Do it again in three weeks. Maybe even four weeks again. But I believe God is preparing us to do things that nobody ever thought New Hope Church on Ten Mile Creek would ever do. But it begins at this point of salvation. Is there someone here who has never trusted Jesus? Oh, you've been a church member all your life. But you've never really let him take over your life. Why not get that right today? Is there a person here who has trusted Jesus, but you kind of kicked him to the curb as far as controlling your life? Why not today, as Brother Gary said, why not fully surrender? Maybe God's speaking to you about church membership. We'd love to start the process. We have a membership class going on this day, this afternoon. You see, God's speaking. He's calling you. He's calling me. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. He's calling you. Would you respond? Would you come home to this new world that he's got us? Plan. He's got planned for us. Let's pray together.